Little one, why do you hide among the shadows of your tiny mixed up world? There's a place I know where the lonely go and just let the music play upon their soul. scene and you know it. This is the Yardley Black Label scene and you feel it. Feel like a guy who's got it made with Black Label aftershave. Cool, clean, nervy. Some guys have it. Some guys never will. Some guys have it. Some guys never will. Yardley Black Label. Yardley He's able. Yardley Black Label. The new aftershave that's really out of sight. Splash it on. You're a guy who's got it. Got it all. Yardley Black Label. Get it. This is It Happened One Year. A look back at the events big and small, famed and forgotten from... Hey, everybody. <laughs> We're doing it again. Uh, peace, love, and the Pennsylvania Turnpike Brothers. <laughs> Did you? Is that a thing, or did you make that up? There used to be a billboard on the uh, on the turnpike in Pennsylvania, like going from Scranton to Philadelphia, and it was a peace sign, it was a heart, and then it was the symbol for the Pennsylvania Turnpike. So I think me and Batman used to say that, or maybe Batman Batman might have even just come up with it and I just adopted <laughs> it. But peace, love, and the Pennsylvania Turnpike. That was it. Uh, well, welcome back. We're doing it once again. Once again. <laughs> it happened one year, 1967. Yep. Yep. It's still weird to me that we're yeah. not doing 1994. Yeah. I feel we watched Tom and Viv last night, which I don't know if that was a movie we'd mentioned on the show before. I feel like we probably did. I don't remember. I don't think so, but I don't remember. I don't remember. Like there was some reason where we stumbled across it and I'm like, oh, we should watch this at some point. Yeah. Um, and I, it was nominated for a couple Oscars in 94. So it's possible that was it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are is- not going to be talking about Tom and Viv here today. No, but I want to. <laughs> Sure, Tom and Viv's weird. <laughs> it was a lot weirder than I expected. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, it was exactly what I expected, though. When given the description. We, you, yeah. 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 Sorry, listeners. You don't get to hear anymore. <laughs> but uh, as we've done historically, today is a holiday, it and is. we're not going to tell you what holiday. However, <laughs> the event we're discussing took place Easter Sunday, 1967. I wonder if they can figure it out. Ooh, we'll see if you can piece this together whenever. Really, this really comes underestimating out. the listeners here. Yeah, look at. I'm sure the listeners are bright and beautiful and and just loving and generous in their hearts. And I and they're the best people. They're the best. We have the best. We have the best listeners. We have the best. <laughs> oh people. no! Oh no! I knew you're gonna roll right into a Trump impression. Sorry, but yes. <laughs> This is what we're talking about. And Sarah has uh, adamant uh, that we need to keep this short. Yes. She's afraid I have all the details because I found a lot of stuff and Sarah chose to find nothing. <laughs> At the end, when we cover all the topics, I'll read my notes aloud. It'll take about 10 seconds. Um, but like Joe, well, like we, you know, we, we did our research on this event and we were like, okay, we'll look some stuff up. So I looked some stuff up and then I thought I hit the end of my research. And so I started playing on Instagram or doing whatever Joe did research and, and actively was typing for the next 30 minutes. 
And I was like, what are you typing? I found so many things. I and I feel like, things. I don't know. I, I just started drilling down a little bit. I feel like a lot of times in season one, but especially in the bonus episodes, <laughs> we just didn't do any research or like sure. we did the very cursory amount. And then it was just spitballing. And I yeah. feel that when we have more research, the episodes tend to be shorter because we get through what we want to talk about and then mm -hmm. we get out. Yes. Where otherwise okay. we're just filling time with us, you know, bullshitting. <laughs> Which is the most enjoyable part of the show for, for me, but probably for no one else. I mean, I, you know, we've said before, we don't know why anyone listens. Uh, no. And as we've discovered since season one ended, fewer and fewer people do. So <laughs> we're going to try to pack in some more facts here. Going back to the original plan, which is right. know some things. The original um, format. What we are going to discuss uh, yes. took place again, Easter Sunday, 1967. Yes. And it was the first of the series of love-ins that took place mm -hmm. in Los Angeles in, uh, in the summer of love. Yep. The first love-in took place. There were be-ins that took place starting in January, yeah. more or less. Yeah. And that I, was in a couple cities around the country, but this was the first love-in. Yeah, I think it, at a minimum, there was a be-in in uh, January in San Francisco, and I believe they call it, and if it, if you use the full name, it makes a lot more sense, a human be-in. Right, <laughs> right. And, so I was like, what's a be-in? And I was like, oh, it's a human be-in. Yeah. I'm not real clear on the distinction between be-ins and love-ins anyway. No, they're they're both sort of protests against the war, and in one form or another, they would continue from '67 clear until 1970. So there was this became just, but it was mostly just a gathering of kind of hippie types, and it was, yeah. you know a lot of music and and weed and and dancing and just having a good time, just yeah. in general, for the most part. Some things that qualify as love-ins and be-ins be, were not that, and became much more dangerous and whatnot, but. The first of the real love-ins is what we're focusing on here today. I stumbled across it because today, not giving away what today is, the Criterion channel posted on their Instagram uh, a link to a documentary that they aired, a little 20-minute documentary called God Respects Us When We Work, But Loves Us When We Dance, which is about this event, this, this, this love-in. So we thought we would check it out, and we thought that documentary would give us some insight into what the event was all about, some details and some facts. What was that documentary uh, as we watched it? Oh, it was just 20 minutes of footage from the from the Lovin with music over it. I at one point realized that I was my eyes were fixated to the right of the television and had completely glazed over. I just it was not no. It, it was just people. It was just it was just people being people. And you did get a sense of like what it was, but I kept saying to Joe, like, are they gonna tell us things? <laughs> and he kept saying like, I think this is the experience of what it was like to be there. Yeah. Um, and, but no, I, it, not my favorite thing when it's a documentary with no narrative, no intro, no plot, no, no just just videos of people. Sometimes you would, you you could see the documentary take a turn and the music would change. And there was one part where, where there was like a couple and they were just holding on to each other and everybody around them looked engrossed in what was going on i don't know what was happening but everybody was engrossed and it just the couple and the people watching and then the couple and then the people watching and you were like oh this is like a thing and then it moved on to something else yeah there's a definite flow to it like i feel like i mean there's i think there's a skill involved like i don't think this is just they filmed a bunch of scenes and threw music over the top of it i feel like there's an actual flow to the event i don't think it covers it in any comprehensive way and i don't think that's yeah. the point like i think it very much is you, uh, you are their documentary, and I think it's very effective for that. 
It's not very effective for information. That's no, no, not no. what it's about. No, no. I was so bored. But I would say the 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 I don't know, I didn't pick this up in the flow of the of the documentary, but one of the things that I was reading about the event is that it was meant to sync with the circadian rhythm of the day. And so like it started real early in the morning and like they described a specific vibe by the afternoon when that when everything was opening because the late afternoon is the height of the day and the day's winding down and like that and that's when you exchange all your fruits and uh, that's not a metaphor like they said to bring fruit yeah Yeah. and so and so it was meant to sync with with, and reflect the circadian rhythm of the day which again i don't i don't think the documentary did but well no the documentary doesn't start at the crack of dawn like the event appears to have but i just felt that like the way that the documentary is put together does flow nicely like i think that it, it starts in sort of a bigger in bigger visuals and kind of shows you the the event and then there is sort of themes over the course of maybe if you chunked it out in three or four minute sections you know people playing flutes people with flowers people intensely staring at each other dancing dogs you know things like that (laughs) and i think it kind of goes in this way in a very in a nice kind of pattern the fact that it's 20 minutes is perfect if it was i mean it's already a little taxing at 20 minutes just because It's not even sounds from the event. It's just music. So it's just music playing over the top of it. Yeah. And visuals from the event. So it's not even like you even can get that out of it. It's just this kind of... What was the name of the band? Spontaneous Combustion did the yes. music for the event for this yeah. documentary. And it's just a 20-minute wall of music. Like, that's all it is. Yeah. But I think it works. I think it's for what it is. This isn't a critique of that documentary. That documentary <laughs> was just fine. Like, I, fine. Thought, I thought it gives you a good sense of what it would have been like to sit there and have... Yeah. all of this happening but we did keep speculating as we're watching it about what did this sound like <laughs> or what did this smell like and i did manage to find some like little quotes from people who were there at the time a lot of them were there as kids so it's not like yeah. they have a great recollection of everything but saying things like it smelled like patchouli and weed which is basically what you would expect yep i think you threw in it probably smells like bo a little bit oh, definitely. again like yeah. it's a pretty unwashed group but in a very jovial kind of way and uh <laughs> And that's then, a great way to describe this. That's kind of how it looked. Jovial. I, mean, I don't want to. Crit- I don't want to criticize them. They were just. It was a lot of free love and whatnot. So you know, I, I can't assume there was a ton of uh, of masking perfume or prel. <laughs> the strong smell of prel. But it still seems very much a happy kind of thing. Yeah. The sound. Uh, there was like a main stage where there were notable-ish bands performing, but there were also just people who brought instruments and yeah. we're just playing in the crowd and and other notable-ish uh, musicians playing in the crowd. So uh, it took place in Elysian Park, which is a fairly large park in Los Angeles. Uh, I had to look it up because I'm don't. i not that familiar with Los Angeles, but it's apparently near Dodger Stadium. It's that whole area down there by mm-hmm. Chavez Ravine. That's that's where Elysian Park is. And some of the other Beans and Levins took part, place in Griffith Park, which is much bigger, where the observatory yeah. is and all of yeah. that. Um, but this was apparently, they had just escalated to the point where they have a crowd size big enough that they needed area, so that's why they went to uh, Elysian Park. Very specifically, because I know you want these details, it took <laughs> place at the Section 9 picnic area of Elysian Park. So if you're ever in LA, that's where it was. Are those the kind of details you're going to continue to bring? Yes. So, you can some of the bands that were there, that, uh, well, okay, you know what? Let's start at the beginning. This event sure. apparently started at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. Which is just just crazy. I mean, I, I'm very interested in who were the people who were 
like hippie enough to go to the love in, but also punctual enough to go there at four thirty in the morning. I mean, on a Sunday. So you figure people are, do, did people just go there? Oh, straight definitely. from Saturday night. Yeah, did they just call. roll right into the park? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That feels sure pretty that likely, right? Totally. Like. You're just out hanging out with your buddies. You're having a good time. You get like super high and then you're like, holy shit. You know, the, the Los Angeles free press is pushing this event. It's taking place in the park. Let's go. You could just go sit up in the park. So, you know, and it's just open. You know, there's, it's not, they're not charging anybody. There's no fences. Just no, go. So just go. Hang out that's there. That's what they took place. And some of the, you know, uh, quotes, interviews from the day saying, you know, they remember there being a lot of candles. Yeah. Because it's 430 in the morning. It's dark, you know. Yeah, you got to have candles. Yeah, so you start with that. I yeah. think some of the posters actually said to bring candles, right? Some of the quotes on the posters. Oh, that was on my list of, that was one of my notes that I took was, well, was the poster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So a lot of instructions, maybe more than I would have expected for something called the Lovin', but bring bells, flutes, flags, drums, and flowers. That so explains all the flutes. Yep. Everybody had a flute. An unusual number of flutes, I would say. Yeah, I would say if you go to Grant Park any given day... The odds of you running into anyone with a flute, very small. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also, uh, not just instruments and flowers, bring tangerines, food, incense, candles, and joy. Oh. So, all the important stuff. There is plenty of joy. Yeah, plenty of joy. Yeah. I believe that poster also proclaims that they are, there are going to be all Los Angeles rock groups. Yes. And that probably explains the bizarre groups that did show up. And there are rumors of other bands who were there, but it's, some of it's a little unfounded. But yeah. did you find the list of bands who like officially were there? Uh, I, I remember a couple. I didn't write them down, but I know that, um, oh God, Strawberry Shortcake something was there. The Strawberry Alarm Clock was there. That's what I said. And something about chocolate. The Peanut Butter Conspiracy was there. That's what I said. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, these are... These are the official bands that everybody seems to, at least everybody can agree were probably there. There's not <laughs> there's not a real comprehensive news story about this event. There's mostly yeah. a lot of secondhand stuff. And because it takes place in a park that hosted a lot of these other events, some memories are a little hazy for the <laughs> super high group that was there yeah. Easter uh, 55-ish years ago. Everyone was very, very high. Yeah. So um, what, the other bands that I have for sure that were there are uh, Lowell, George, and The Factory were there. Yep. These are mostly psychedelic bands of the air. Not a lot of these bands had long careers. The sure. Flaming Groovies were there. Of course. The Groovies. I, I thought that was just the summary of like the clientele. Just a generally Flaming Groovy group. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And a band called Clear Light was there. But uh, apparently Hoyt Axton was there, who was a, a country singer. Sure. Uh, not officially there. It seems like he might have just been under a tree. Yep. People were like, hey, Hoyt's playing over by the tree. <laughs> Go um, listen. There are some... Uh, some rumors, uh, instances of people thinking that the monkeys were there. Wow. I think this might be why it's a little hazy whether this was a different concert. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people who think the Grateful Dead were there, but there is some reporting that the Grateful Dead literally had a concert in San Francisco that yeah. night. So the uh, they could have been there, but the odds of it aren't great. Yeah. And then Iron Butterfly, the Turtles, there's a couple other major yeah. bands. So. Okay, Frank Sinatra was there. 
You know, anybody could have been there. <laughs> I think at the end of the documentary, there's an odd freeze frame that makes no sense. And I said at the time, I think that's Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> he was there. He became president one day. Like, oh, my God. Because there's no details in that documentary. They don't They don't tell you who anybody is. So. <laughs> it was the queen. The queen was there. Yeah. Everybody just showed up. Prince Charles was there wearing a fake mustache. It was just wild. So. <laughs> um, but again, to try to give a pattern to the day. Sure. The phrase lovin' came from this event. So I think that's what the distinction is between a bean yeah. and a lovin' is almost just because they made it up and they didn't want it to be too derivative, maybe, of the yeah. bean events. But uh, there was a, a comic at the time uh, named Peter Bergman, who was a radio comic, but did found the Firesign Theater, which was a fairly notable-ish comedy group of the time. They, they're basically like like Second City or like the Goon Squad, if you want to really comedy-wise want to start to track it out, because they kind of did improv, but they weren't real formalized. But they put out a lot of albums, so you can find a lot of Firesign Theater albums, you know. They just didn't become <laughs> stars in the same way that like Second City might, right? But he actually hosted this event, and he coined the phrase Lovin', so Peter Bergman is that guy. Yeah. And then he had kind of a like a half-assed film career when the Firesign Theater wrapped up. So he's notable-ish in comedy circles, sort of, from the time. Yeah. But well, he... So it's interesting. There was a B-in the same day in New York City. Yeah. Um, uh, which I was looking up. And I, I did read some descriptions of that event, and it sounds an awful lot like the Love-In. Yeah. Like, like, literally, like, oh, they danced in circles, which they did on the documentary. Oh, they brought flowers. That, uh, that's what they did. Like, it's, it's, it's the same. Where where did it take place in New York? Did you find that Central Park? It was in Central Park. Yeah, there were like ten thousand people there. Yeah. Um, but it was the, it was the same thing. They came real early in the morning. Uh, there was more mud. It seems like because sure. it rained or something. Um, but same day, same basic. No major bands there. Like there wasn't. There was like one description of the event in um, in some paper in New York that that was the only real like reporting I could find from it. And uh, I think not only were the people high, but the guy who wrote the description was also very high because he was just talking about how it was like, you know, peeling away of inhibitions and laughing for the first time in their lives. Like, I don't know, but it seems like it was a bunch of hippies in a park and they were all real high. Sure. Um, so, again, so it sounds like basically what we saw. On that. Yeah. Same thing. I mean, I think that this. You know, I think in retrospect, you, they kind of can point back to this being a major event, but I don't think at the time it possibly could have been, really. Like, I've seen estimates between 4,000 and 20,000 people being at this event, and there's no <laughs> concrete number in between. So it was either a small, large event or a large, large event. And it's just hard to say. <laughs> but, but most of the reporting I saw was kind of the same thing. Like, again, the Los Angeles Free Press was kind of a fringe journalistic outfit. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Times. So... Any writing you see about it tends to be that way. It's this poetic, you know, yeah. effusive thing. It's, it's not objective journalism or anything. It's just trying to say, like, you know, this was a fun event. But they also were, you know, instrumental in pushing this very word-of-mouth type event. Yeah. So I think that's partly why it's covered the way that it is. But, but I think it's in retrospect that then this kind of kicks off this long series of very mild protests that takes place. In 67, through the Summer of Love, which we'll cover, I think, in some other detail at other yeah. points, but it, it is a very free-formy event. Like, it's not really, like, there's a lot of distinct moments or big no. things that happen. It's kind of more just a feeling, in yeah. a lot of ways, more than fact, which makes it tough 
for yeah. our very fact-based podcast. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, why when Joe was taking so many notes, I was like, please don't talk about this for 40 minutes. <laughs> we, no, we, just, no. we don't have enough. Um, but it, it, it is. It was kind of like come and hang um, without a lot of structure. There's no, like, plan for the day. There's no, like, sketch. There's nothing to do. I also didn't get a, a real p- protest vibe from it. Like, I no. know that that was like, part of this and probably future ones but like even in the documentary i didn't see a lot of signs you didn't see like other than that one guy who i assume you're going to talk about like yeah. they're not not a heavy protest vibe no there's not a ton of like signs or things like that um i mean 67 is that is well into the teeth of the war but you know i think these events are sort of more following something than in reaction to something so i kept seeing people who were there saying things like this is when I became a flower child. This is when that started for me. Like some people saying like I had started out, I was a beatnik and then this is what I kind of transitioned into. Again, I'm not a historian on this. So even the, the distinct delineation between the two, I, I, I couldn't tell you all the details, but like you think of a beatnik, it's not what was in that. It's not who was at this event, right? Yeah. Beatniks are kind of philosophical coffee shop, you know, intellectuals where this is more, I think an emotional, you know, a, a, a more of a, a a global, you know, concern type event than something like that. Well, I think it's interesting that you say that because as we were watching it, the documentary on it, every once in a while a guy would pop up with a pipe and a tweed jacket and we were like, that guy doesn't look like he belongs there and maybe that's why, like, maybe it's the, either the pivoting or the, like, the Venn diagram of those two groups like just happened to, like, me in this event. Right. And some of those people there would be considered, like, the, you know, philosopher, beatnik, intellectual over the more spiritual you know flower child um peace love harmony vibe right and i think that that's partly just the 67-ness of it right yeah is that this is that kind of transition time they said the first love-in of any or love-in the first be-in of any significance is late late 66 Mm -hmm. so before that there's kind of nothing so even though you figure in a very basic like fashion sense or just a psychological sense of what like would really constitute a flower child and that kind of thing that only really finally comes all together probably in 67 the way that i can gather of it and up until that point it probably is more this like a beatnik type idea so i think that's that transition which i didn't realize as we were watching it but only when i was reading about this later that yeah it seems like that might be the explanation of what's going on in the group because mostly everybody looks kind of consistent like i would say it seems that the people there are you know similar-ish garb and yeah. you know face painting and you know wild you know hairstyles and colors and whatnot but there are a bunch of people who are just kind of dressed dressed i wouldn't say normally but dressed in this odd conservative way that just stands out in this group yeah i mean there's one guy wearing a suit but there's not a lot of like people who clearly look like narcs there's not a lot of that yeah and then there's a couple hell's angels now the only Hell's Angel stuff I could find. Not that many people were arrested at this event. This isn't that kind of thing. Yeah. But if you go forward a couple months, there's a slightly less famous love-in that also took, takes place in L.A. And a bunch of people got arrested. And most of the reporting at the time blames the Hell's Angels. Mm-hmm. Why the Hell's Angels go to these events, I don't know. I think yeah. the Hell's Angels saw them more as an anti-authority uh, event. And yeah. that's just crosses over enough with their philosophy but hell's angels and hippies aren't really in line with stuff yeah and ultimately the 60s end in at altamont basically with 
the Hells Angels as the villains. Like, that that's where this eventually goes. Yeah. So even the Hells Angels showing up in this documentary kind of foreshadows yeah. the whole era, which is odd because, again, they're in it for two seconds and don't do anything. Yeah, it was, like, one guy. And it was only even, like, three or four guys who had, like, Gene vests on that had patches on them but only one i only saw one that actually said hell's angels they were other groups you know yeah yeah but but it's interesting so in the new york one on the same day the eastern new york one the cops came and the reporting was like the cops didn't know what to do other than like there was there were two guys who were naked and they like gently asked them to put their clothes back on but the 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 participants in the event we're all like, you know, loving the cop. Like, we want to love you. And that, that was their message. They like, covered the cops' cars in flowers. And the cops were like, oh, okay, well, never mind then. And they just yeah. kind of let them be, which is nice in, you know, the context of how other events like this have gone badly. Yeah. Well, like, they kind of always show, like, there's famous pictures of student protests on college campuses. And the, there's, like, National Guardsmen with guns. And, you know, hippies kind of putting flowers in the barrels of guns yeah, and things yeah. like that. Like, this is sort of, I mean, I think that's a real thing. That's also from the Watchmen movie. So, it's, I'm, you know, <laughs> I might be confusing some parts of it. But the event, the L.A. event that I met in the summer, like, there are stories that, like, they were arresting people already for, like, you know, public indecency nudity basically and and some and drugs like that was you know but very yeah. mild stuff i don't think they were running people in i don't think they were beating people up but they say the hell's angels started throwing stuff at the cops and then melees broke out so you know sure. that i think that's where the thin line between yeah. the two like <laughs> yeah. it looks like early 67 you know or probably even into that that's still the very genteel part of this it's when you get into 68 and 69 as the war escalates and the draft that yeah. ten- tensions rose quite a bit so yeah I think that's what that's about. But the person you were talking about, where there's like one guy who's clearly the protest guy, even though he also seems like a very fun-loving character, <laughs> uh, who's at this event. So just for some context, the the head of the Selective Service in 1967 was a guy named Lewis Hershey, who was a general. And a lot of stuff I've read about this that we're mostly just going to gloss over because I don't know how much we want to get into Vietnam proper. Uh, does reference this guy. He was a famous person, especially from young people, because, you know, as you're getting draft notices or whatever, his name would be all over everything. So this there's a guy who was just like an actor and like a dancer. And he had, you know, kind of a minor stage career here and there as a theater performer. And as he gets into the 60s, when he is now in his 60s, he created a character who would dress up in army garb, and this character's name was General Hershey Bar, which is pretty on the nose, right? Like, it's mean, not clever. Yeah. It's not anything. I wonder who that could be. Right, right. And I think it's just, it's like an obvious thing. Yeah. But he'd be like, he'd carry around a stack of newspapers talking about the war and just how awful it was and the, the awful American response. He was very much a, a physical embodiment of, you know, of protest, but in a very mild you know, genteel theater kind of way. And he's very prominent at and memorable in this documentary, yeah. even though he's probably only in it for a minute or two. Um, and again, you can't hear anything anybody says, so it's not like you get a message. But in a, you know, in a little, you know, visual kind of encapsulation of what goes on, he stands out because he's older and he is very much clearly doing something <laughs> where a lot of people are just dancing and having a good yeah. time. Yeah. He's wearing like a like a army uniform that has like plastic planes and boats and stuff stuck to him. Like clearly 
and he's carrying a newspaper. I couldn't see what the newspaper said on it, but he's like carrying a newspaper and shouting about it. And um, yeah, just clearly doing something different than the other people who were there. Yeah. Uh, one of the newspapers that he, uh, there's a lot of photos of him carrying says something like, you know, world trade, not world war. Uh, he did this for a long time. So this was, this was a character he basically portrayed for the rest of his life. And he died in the, in the nineties, I want to say. But it was mostly just, you know, it seems that the newspaper was just sort of an easy, instead of him carrying around a sign, he carries around this stack of newspapers. Yeah. But he became, you know, fairly famous in, an, in a very Hollywood kind of way as this character. Yeah. Uh, he ended up, like, managing hotels. But he's still, you know, but, for, <laughs> for, for, but not like fancy hotels, like for, you know, young types hanging out, you know, on, on the cheap. So He became a Wall Street was, banker. No, yeah, he didn't become like Conrad Hilton. That wasn't uh, that wasn't General Hershey Bar's uh, his whole thing. He was uh, he was born uh, William Mattons, William really, Arthur Mattons. I really like to think about him at like corporate team building events where you have to play two truths and a lie. Yeah. <laughs> One of it's like I was General Hershey Bar at the yeah. first love in in yeah. <laughs> Easter in nineteen sixty seven. I was a satirical, you know, character who was against the Vietnam war generally would be like, ah, I don't think so. And he'd be like, Oh, Bill Matins telling you, telling you straight. (laughs) So, so that was pretty fun. I've always wondered about this and like, it was kind of, I guess more when I was growing up than now, but you know, when, when I was in college, there wasn't much to protest. And I always felt that like people I knew who really went out of their way to, to, protest things or to, to be against things just didn't have an avenue for that, for their like, you know, yeah. hormonal rage of being a teenager, being 20 years old, right? Yeah. Like when I, again, when I'm in college, this is still before the war. This is, you know, I, I graduated and first graduated in 2002 where I'm on campus all the time. Yeah. So like my last year is 9-11 and all of that. But I, we didn't have anything like that. So I've always wondered if I was my parents' age, if I was born in, my dad was born in 49 and my mom was born in 50. So they're like college age when all of this happens. Who would I have been exactly at that time? You know, like, where do you come down, right? Yeah. I would guess I could guess where you were. <laughs> like, do you have a sense of who what you would be doing? And that, I, But I'm very confused about myself when it comes to that. I don't know. Like, I think it really depends where in your life that you hit. Because there are, like, you're so much a product of the your upbringing. Yeah. And because I grew up in, like, a rural town, I, you know, I I didn't have a lot of exposure to things like protest or, you know, or even like different schools of thought, I would say. And I went to, I did my undergrad in in Scranton, right? Like, I I wouldn't say that that was a world opening experience. It wasn't until I moved here that you like start to get exposure to people with different ideas. And then you're like, oh, and then you can kind of figure out who you are. But I think if I was 17 and this had happened I don't know. My parents had a lot of military in the family. I might have been pro-war. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, if I was 30, 30 when it was happening, I, I probably know where I would have come down. But like if you if you were at college and it's 67, right? It's like Vietnam yeah. is, is happening. Like I, I that's what I kind of thought about you. Like I figured you would be a little more because you were just so studious. And like I yeah. knew you more or less at that time. You didn't know me yeah. when I was in college. Yeah. But I thought of you. That's probably what you would be like. You were kind of yeah. I'm going to stick to schoolwork (laughs) i've got a plan i'm gonna follow it yeah there's like protests outside and people but i think you would walk through that and get to class that's (laughs) That's true even though now i think you would be a protest person then i think you in college would be not that that's that's my take on it i think that's true yeah yeah for me i don't know i you know like you all you all hashtag free tibet i think you would have been in all in 
Maybe. I mean, I was very much an anti-establishment person, but I'm also kind of rule following. You know? <laughs> so, so I don't know. Like, I can't imagine if I'm at Keystone and protests are breaking out that I would have gone to protest. I don't know. Like, I, I, my mom was at Keystone in like 68. So she's there basically during the yeah. same time. But she wasn't a protest person. But like her yearbooks have pictures of the protests that were going on yeah. at Keystone. And I don't know. Like, I, I can't imagine that I would have done that because... Even though I wasn't the most studious kid, I was still, by the time I got to college, I was at least pretty conscientious. Yeah. And I don't know that I would have got wanting to get arrested. I don't know. Like, I've always, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, I was kind of a theater person. So there's yeah. a certain theatrical aspect to it that I enjoy. Like, I don't know that you would have been at the front, like chaining yourself to things, but I do think you, I think you would have been there. I think you would have had a nice sign with yeah. a good, clever saying on it. And uh, yeah, I think you would have been there. I don't know that. I, and I, like, I didn't smoke a lot of weed in college, little, but not a lot. And so I don't know that I would have gotten caught up in that part of it. But this is something I've always yeah. wondered. Like if I was just that age and I was just there. <laughs> it's so different though, because you're so influenced by what's happening around you. Yeah. That it, you know, if if there are huge protests on Keystone's campus, I think you would have been there. Yeah. If there was like, we're all gonna get in a car and we're gonna drive to California to protest, I don't think you would have done that. Like, yeah. but it's so, you know, and I think if you know everybody around you was smoking a ton of weed and then going to protests, you probably would have also done that. You know, yeah. I mean, not to say there's there's no independent thought, but it's so the environment that you're in. Like I think if I had been at a, at like Penn State and not Marywood, like I think I would have had a different experience or yeah. a, approached it differently than yeah. If I were at a different college at a different time, I think I would have been different. You're welcome. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's fair. I just, I, you know, it's just something I've, I've just kind of wondered from time to time. Like, had you placed me in a different time? Like, because I also think if it was that era and I got drafted, I would have gone. Like, yeah. I, I really believe that. Even though Vietnam's, you know, in retrospect and at the time was a nonsense war. Yeah. I just kind of like, I'm a little too rule following. I'm probably yeah. Like, yeah, I'll probably go, you know, like, yeah. But I also felt, you know, in, in 2000, 2001, when around when the war is going to start, I really believed then if the draft ever were to somehow come back, I wouldn't go. And, you know, and as a guy, like, you, then that creates this idea, well, like, how do you do that? And, you know, yeah. all of the ways around that. Like, I don't, I don't know. But, yeah. but it's just, I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. But for some reason, in retrospect, this is how I've always thought of it. So Maybe that has something to do with the fact that the draft was real in the 60s, you know, right. for Vietnam. Right. And it wasn't real, thankfully. For the Iraq war, but like, right. uh, you know, I can't imagine, like as a, also as a lady, like I can't imagine being faced with that. Like your whole life is just completely derailed by whatever. I mean, even if you come back, like it's just like pull all decision-making from, from the per just to, uh, yeah. I think yeah. the draft is a, a crazy idea. Yeah. I mean, especially Vietnam, like, and I think that's what there was so much pushback. You don't hear about a lot of pushback to the draft in world war two. Yeah. Right. I mean, there must have been a draft. Now that I think about it, I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's why you don't hear about it. Yeah. But there must yeah. have been right enough people signing up. Yeah. But you don't hear. Yeah. yeah that's what I mean is I think that like the, it was such a popular war. Like we want to go and fight these villains yeah. that maybe there. You, that's why you don't hear about people who didn't go as much or or if there was even a draft. I, I assume I there was a draft. But in Vietnam, like, again, this is a main storyline through Vietnam. So. To the point that General Hershey is a figure that people even know <laughs> because he was this villain who headed the selective service. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting. Try to reflect on, you know, college age. What what would we have done? What would we have been doing? 
Because, I mean, before, the, before you know, the pandemic, we used to kind of go march a little bit in the early yeah. Trump years. There were there were various things to go protest. And, oh, yeah. You know, and then it was just really the pandemic that stopped that, even though there's been plenty to protest since oh, then. Plenty. I, just, I don't want to stand in giant crowds no matter what. So, <laughs> yeah. Hard pass on that. We'll get yeah. back to our protesting someday. But, I, I mean, look, I, I, I ran our Amnesty International chapter at Marywood. So, You're- just saying. President. There were yeah. like four people in that club. They were all my friends. It was awful. <laughs> You're roping people in. We we like I organized a vigil. We did a vigil once. Yeah. There were like 10 people there. It wasn't great, but hey. I got real I got real anti-death penalty for a while. Yeah, nice. Uh, that's how I felt about Tibet for a uh, for a hot minute in college. Like I still feel that way about Tibet, but like yeah. I'm shouting at it's me and Richard Gere shouting at the wind. <laughs> like we're not we're not accomplishing anything. So you know. uh, hey, that's it hasn't company. led to much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. I think that's it. I think we can get out of here. See again, facts and out. <laughs> we didn't. Not bad. It was. It was bad. We did yeah. okay. Do you have an outro? Anything you want to do? Anything you want to do to wrap this up? Ooh. Here sh- on this unnamed holiday. <laughs> should we sing the most popular Strawberry Alarm Clock song? Oh. Do you know what that song is? No. So you're gonna have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that I want to sing it. It's those '60s songs are hard because they're they're very. There's a lot of it, I, acapella. It's not going to sound terribly good, but uh, Strawberry Alarm Clock's most famous song is Incense and Peppermints, which you know, Incense and Peppermints. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know the words, but we can sing it. Right. Well, that's the problem. I'm not sure what the <laughs> words are either. We can't sing together in separate rooms. That's never going to work. Sure. You want to come out here? We'll sing on the same microphone. <laughs> incense, innocence, something mankind. Things, many things I can't define. Who cares what know. things we choose? The the beautiful strawberry alarm clock. <laughs> so we don't know any of the words, any of them. A couple. I know peppermints are in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was incense and peppermints, and that's as far as I got. Yeah. No, no, that those aren't the lyrics. That's as far. That's literally as far as I got. Oh. <laughs> incense and peppermints. I don't know anything else. <laughs> It's not incense and peppermints. That's as far as I got. That's not what I meant. <laughs> like he was writing the song and just couldn't come up with anything beyond that. And like they were all hippies. So like, who cares? That's yeah, good, that good enough for everybody like that. I don't know words. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's good enough. Beautiful. Thanks, everybody. Bye. This has been Ahoy! Or It Happened One Year. Please do us a favor and give us a rating wherever you can. But not on Hot or Not. We're not there. <laughs>